So this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> We're going to jump around a little bit, uh, looking through uh, chapters 3 through 5. So when a couple folks have asked me what passage are you preaching from, and I said, I think it was Joanne this morning, I said, uh, John 3, 4, and 5. She said, the chapters? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, okay, that's one way to go about it. Um, yeah, so it's a lot to cover, so we're not going to, so just to put you at ease, I'm not going to sit up here and read to you um, those three chapters, although there would be much benefit of it. So I would encourage you, going from here with your families, with the little ones, uh, kids that are in the room, uh, spouses, uh, brothers and sisters, it would be great for you to just work through the first couple chapters of the book of John and just see what Jesus is saying and, and what he has for us. So one, we're going to make some observations of the way that Jesus carried his ministry. Uh, and then two, we're going to, try to, I'm going to try to bring those home to what do we actually do with this. So um, the whole book is kind of framed with this purpose. It's one of the few books of the Bible where like, we don't have to draw major lines of implication for what, why did the author write this text. It's incredible. John tells us. Like he just tells us in plain words, and it's, I'm really thankful for it. So uh, it starts in John 20, uh, verses 31 and 32. Uh, Jesus says this, it says, or John says this about Jesus. Now Jesus did many other signs uh, in the presence of the disciples, uh, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's the purpose of this book of John. The purpose, I mean, it's incredible. Like, no, we don't have to do a lot. I mean, it's really great for me because I didn't, don't have an abundance of time to really to, to dig in there and figure out what the purpose of the book was. John gave, answered the homework for me, which is incredible. But that's the purpose of the book is that us, the hearers of this book, us, the readers of this book, that we would be able to see who Jesus is, see him as the son of God and have life in believing in him, have life in his name. So quick rabbit trail, I was watching a video uh, by a guy named Costi Hinn, who was the nephew of Benny Hinn, who has kind of come out of the Word of Faith movement and is now a pastor of a church. He put out a movie out there called The American Gospel. He was a part of that. Um, but he did this really cool teaching on, like, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? So, like, if you look back through the scriptures in, 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 uh, in the era of the Bible, when you uh, were to talk of someone's name, uh, it's really an embodiment of their entire character and everything that that person has stood for. So to say that uh, we, would be, we would have life in the name of Jesus, it's not a magic trick. It's not uh, abracadabra, come from heaven to earth. It's saying that everything that he was about, uh, every, every ounce of his character, all that he is, is where life is found, both here and forevermore, which is incredible. Um, so that's, the, that's kind of the framing of where we're going to go as we're looking at this book. And then uh, also in John 20, um, Jesus also says that as the Father has sent you, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. So we're going to look at what Jesus did um, and, and worship him for that. But then we're also going to take some application of if Jesus is doing this and he's saying that we are being sent in the same way as the Father sent him, we can't sit here and we can't leave here and not be changed uh, today by the example that he gave us. It's not just simply observe it from afar and, okay, those are some principles and um, there's some value, those are some stories that are encouraging, but rather, yeah, those are encouraging stories and we should cause us to worship, but now it should also cause us to put a little shoe leather to it and do the same, uh, which is challenging, um, 
challenging to me for sure to get up there and say that because I'm feeling every ounce of it as we've been going through the Gospel of John in our Gospel community. So that's kind of where this came from in our Gospel community. We're working through the Gospel of John, and when Mike asked me to preach and asked me to preach from a New Testament narrative from the Gospels, I'm like, well, we've been here for a little bit, and I am getting beat up over the way that Jesus deals with people. And I'm getting beat up by the things that he's saying, and I'm being encouraged and lifted. So this is not going to be a, a Tyson Fury versus Wilder fight in here. Anybody who watches the boxing world, that's not what this is going to be. Um, but simply just going to the word, going to see how the Jesus operated, and then try to follow him. Because that's what it means to be a disciple. So at Trinity, we talk about we want to, we want to be the family of God to one another. We want to grow as disciples, uh, and we want to serve together on mission. Um, growing as a disciple just simply means growing as a follower, uh, playing a game of follow the leader. So anybody ever seen that um, poster? I've seen it in elementary school teachers' rooms that everything I needed to learn, for, learn in life, I, I learned in kindergarten. I mean, it's kind of, well, if you haven't seen it, that's what it says. That's the gist of it. And then it goes through a list of things you learned uh, in kindergarten, one of those things being simply, Christianity is simply this, follow the leader, uh, follow Jesus. So <clears throat> I want to jump in here. Uh, the sermon overview is up there. So these are three things we're going to look at from these passages. Is, uh, Jesus shows um, that uh, everyone's, everyone is in need of God's grace. Uh, we're going to see that through his interactions with the Pharisees and with the Jews. Uh, we're also going to see how Jesus, Jesus shows how deep and how far his grace can reach uh, to those from the outside looking in. Uh, anyone ever played the game of, well, I don't know if that, that person would probably never come to Christ. That person would probably never come to Christ. I do it in my own family. Uh, and I'm confronted by it often, but we see how far and how deep the grace of God reaches to save and to transform and to, uh, especially in that last, like those last songs that we, that we sang, is that he is working in all those circumstances. Uh, and then finally, we're going to look at that verse in John, John 20, 20 uh, 21, 22, um, the idea that just as the Father has sent Jesus, we are being sent in the same way, which means Jesus was willingly and joyfully submitted to the will and the mission of his Father. And we'll see that in John 5. So we'll jump right in. So I'm going to just reference some stories. Again, encourage you to go through and read these chapters, uh, talk about them as a family. I know there's other gospel communities that are going through the gospel of John as well. So um, feel free to pick this apart when you go through it, when you get to 3, 4, and 5. Um, but yeah, so we start there in the gospel of John. So um, in John 1, kind of going back, <clears throat> on this topic of grace that Jesus starts to talk about. In John 1, 14 uh, through 17, uh, in speaking of Jesus, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was, this was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Uh, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So as we think about grace and we think about God's interaction, Jesus' interaction with these people, let's have those, kind of, those three scriptures in mind. So the first story we want to highlight is the story of Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was uh, a Pharisee. He was a well-known man uh, with standing in the community. Um, he knew um, he was known by many and, and knew many folks. And it says that he came to Jesus in the middle of the night uh, to come and to ask him things. And um, you see Jesus operating in grace and truth. So he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, or he, he actually doesn't ask him anything. 
He comes telling them what they think about him. Like, oh, so we, we perceive that you're, like, we see that you're a prophet because, or you're a man of God because only God could do the things that you're doing. Um, and we see that you're doing that, so you must be this. And then Jesus just immediately interrupts him and jumps in and says, well, you must be born again to, to, to see the kingdom of God. Which leads to this, like, mind-blowing discussion where he gets into the weeds super quick of, like, well, I can't. So my, my wife, Lindsay, is uh, eight, eight-ish, seven, well, eight, seven weeks from, you're 33 weeks pregnant. <laughs> Trying to do the math to months, it wasn't working. But, so Lindsay's getting, we're getting ready to have a baby here in a month or so, um, and I understand Nicodemus' confusion. He's like, so you're saying, I got to go back to my mom and do this process over. I don't know how that works. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. So you have this, this, this studier of the law, uh, this Pharisee who knew the Old Testament, knew God's commands, knew God's statutes, was responsible for caring for the people, was responsible for teaching the people, and here he comes with this simple truth that we would consider a simple truth today, that you, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you have to be born again of the Holy Spirit. So he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot inherit this kingdom. You cannot see it. You cannot be a part of it. And his mind is blown, and he walks away confused. And we know later in the book, or later in, in the Gospel accounts, that I think Nicodemus does come uh, to faith in Christ, and he's counted among uh, those at the burial of Christ, and uh, working with uh, Joseph of Arimathea to, to, to see Jesus buried. So there's some signs that like, he eventually did get it. Um, but this teacher of the law, the one who was supposed to know everything, knew nothing about the Son of God who was walking the earth. Yet Jesus went to him, and he went, he went and he's told him that, uh, that you must be born again to demonstrate his grace. That Jesus, or, um, Nicodemus did not come to him looking for salvation. He didn't even ask the question about the kingdom. But Jesus interrupted his whole line of thinking and said, let me interject to you what is most important, that you would know me. And then we fast forward from John 3 to John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus does a miracle that we'll look at in a little bit where he heals somebody on the Sabbath and immediately that sets up red flares for the Pharisees and they're angry uh, and it says that the Jews look to kill him because he healed on the Sabbath uh, and because he professed to be God's very own son. Um, so if someone today were to get up and to tell us, like, hey, I'm going to break God's rules and, because I'm his son and I think... <laughs> We've all been in the Word enough. Most of us have been in the Word enough where that would cause the red flags for us as well. Uh, now, I don't think we would be motivated to kill that person, uh, but have a direct conversation, I'm sure. But um, the Pharisees look to kill Jesus over this. The Jews look to, to incite violence uh, over his claims. And Jesus knew that that was coming. But in John 5, that's, so that's kind of what's happening. Um, they're incensed. They're angry. And Jesus, again, speaks very directly. He speaks very directly to the issues that are at hand. Um, and he says this. He says, um, in speaking of their relationship uh, with the Lord, uh, he says, his, vo- uh, his, voice, his voice you have heard, um, his, form, or his voice you have never heard, uh, his form you have never seen, and you do not have the word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because in them you think that you ha- because in them you think that you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, uh, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So you have these these workers of the law who 
Um, I've been thinking a lot about the parable or the story where Jesus says that uh, he would leave the 99 to go save the one sheep. And I was talking with Mike this this morning, I think, about this this morning. I like this. I mean, I would love, I would love to think that there's only one who's gone astray. Yet if we know what our families look like, if I know what my family looks like, if I know what my life looks like on a daily basis, um, it's not like, I don't think that passage is meant to encourage us that like, okay, well, I'm part of the 99 who are safe. Like, we're good. We'll help Jesus go and reach some really lost people. Or there's verses in the New Testament that talk about in the Gospels where angels rejoice, heaven rejoices over one sinner that's saved. Uh, Jesus said, I did not come for those who are well, but for those who are sick. And we can kind of like the Pharisees, you can, I can almost see their hearts hardening. Like, yeah, of course, he would come. The Christ would come for those who are far off, to those who are dismayed. I mean, you see it in uh, the illustration, in, I think it's Luke 18, of the, the Pharisee, or, or the publican and the, um, yeah, the publican and the tax collector. So these two men go up to pray, and uh, the one man b- beats his chest and just says, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. And then the, the keeper of the law goes up, he goes to pray, and he prays this eloquent prayer. But the eloquent prayer is all about setting himself up as superior. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this man. And a face value, that can seem kind of good, like, okay, God, you've redeemed me, you've changed me. But how often are we, I'm reading these, these accounts with the Pharisees, and uh, folks, Trinity, I, I'm being challenged that, like, man, how hard can my heart be? I'm no different than they are. I've been uh, a Christian for a little while now, and I can, I can put myself up in a place of superiority. I can think of myself more highly than I ought to. And I just hear Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees. that He's telling them that you need my grace. He, goes to, he, he has Nicodemus come to him, and he, what he's really telling Nicodemus is, you need my grace. He goes to the Pharisees when they are rebuking him and, and trying to find fault with him. And all he's trying to tell them is that you need my grace more than you know. That illustration of Jesus coming for the sick and not the healthy uh, is not intended for them uh, to have a sense of security, but rather uh, I think of, of the parable where Jesus uh, talks about two, two men are forgiven of a debt. One's forgiven, just use modern day uh, money. This isn't the exact translation, but I wasn't planning on using it, so this is what you get. Uh, so one's forgiven $5,000 and one's forgiven $5 million. I could come up with 5,000. I mean, it would not, it's not just like slight and easy 5,000, but I could come up with 5,000 to be able to pay for my debt. I couldn't come up with 5 million. I couldn't come up with a $5 million debt. I couldn't cover it. I don't have enough means within myself. I don't know enough people. Uh, if I did know enough people that we could come up with that type of, that type of whole FCA in Delaware would look a lot different because I'd have to raise money. <laughs> it was part of my job with FCA. Like, if I had that type of network, if I had that type of bandwidth, if I knew those type of people, then $5 million wouldn't seem like a lot. But to me, it's a ton of money. I've never seen that. I don't know what to do with that. In the same way, Jesus is telling them the same story to the Pharisees again. He's telling it to this, this story to the Pharisee, a Pharisee named Simon. And he tells them, he says, who loves their debtor more? Who loves him more? The one forgiven 5,000 or 5 million, he's the one who's been forgiven more, loves more. And that's true of us. I think of what it says in 1 John, what John says in 1 John, he says that we love God because he first loved us. And I think of the way that Jesus judges. Jesus judges just not on actions, but on thoughts and motives. The inward man, one of the lyrics in the song uh, talked about, God, you know me. 
and yet you let me live? That should be our response to this holy and incredible God. We've been going through Isaiah with the teens, and Isaiah 6, uh, the holy man of God, the prophet, the one uh, through whom God's words speak out of his mouth to the people. When he's encountered with God, what does he do? He says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips who dwells amongst the people of unclean lips. That should be our reaction to the Lord, not blazing with questions and traps and contingencies And none of us would do that directly to the Lord, but we definitely do it to our brothers and sisters. Look, I'm guilty. I mean, you see it all throughout the New Testament, all these contingencies of um, what the Apostle Paul is fighting. You see things like, well, are you eating the right things? Well, are you circumcised? Are you this? Are you that? And I do the same thing. I mean, two examples I was talking about with Fran this morning that come to my mind with, with songs that come out, when there's Christian songs that come out, the first thing I do is, I go through the lyrics, and there is a sense of we are to test the spirits, and we are to take everything and hold it accountable to the Word of God, but how often do we try to look and find what's wrong with what other Christians are doing so that we can feel better about ourselves? I don't know what that situation looks like for you, but I know what it looks like for me. I remember when the song Reckless Love came out, and I'm like, God's love is not reckless, and I remember pounding the table in an FCA meeting with other FCA staff people saying, we should never use this, and it's And I'm like, is that the hill I really want to die on? Is this the battle I want to be known for fighting? No, I think that there is some, again, I I want to come around. There there is some room uh, and there is a command from the Lord for us to be wise. But I I don't know. I I think about um, the network of folks that our church is is associated with and the teachers that I listen to. And sometimes, I mean, to be honest, I, I get sad because so often we're known, we're known for what we're against rather than what we're for. Like people from other traditions, they look and they just say, oh yeah, you're one of those guys who hates this thing, doesn't like that thing, condemns this thing. And I'm like, man, I hear these words that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee and I'm like, God, am I holding too tightly to things that you don't care about? So I don't know what that is for you. I'm just telling you what the Lord has been working over on me. So how do we respond in the way that Jesus responds to the Pharisees? Uh, I would challenge us to ask the Lord, like, God, is there ground that I'm holding to just because I was taught something? Um, is there things that I'm holding to uh, much more closely? I'm holding much tighter to than what you would actually hold tight to in the gospel that aren't, aren't involved with your grace and your mercy and your love and your holiness and your perfection. Like, am I really looking to spur one another on to love and good works? Am I really looking to encourage? Am I really looking that my words would be Ephesians 4.29, that they would be profitable, looking to build up so to fit the occasion? Or am I the Grinch on the mountain? Sorry, the Grinch is... Thankfully, we've come through a season where my three-year-old Caleb, it was the Grinch 24-7, 365. But am I the Grinch on the mountain who just... Man, I hate Christmas. It's the worst. <laughs> Just sitting up on my pedestal, thinking about everything else that everyone's done wrong, rather than opening my eyes and saying, like, oh, man, I'm in need of much grace. The second story uh, that I want to touch on uh, quickly um, comes from, is the woman at the well in John 4, but in thinking of this story, transitioning to so that God's, uh, God's grace is needed for everyone, uh, much more than we know, Uh, God's grace also reaches much deeper and further than we can imagine. So there's a verse in Isaiah uh, chapter 59, and I had always kind of known this verse, but encourage you, read Isaiah 59. 
there's this beautiful foreshadowing uh, and tension and, and just like this mounting um, frustration with there not being anyone to be an intercessor for God's people to make up for where they've gone wrong. But in, John, uh, or in Isaiah 59.1, it says, The arm of the Lord is not too short uh, to save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save. I don't care what the situation is. I don't, we don't care what's going on. I don't care what it looks like from an earthly perspective. My prayer for us, Trinity, is that God would grant us discernment. He would grant us the ability to see through this world the facades, the veneers, everything that's set up around us, and he would allow us to see things the way that he sees them with his eyes. He would allow us to hear things, uh, not just judging in our own accord, but to be able to hear through all the, the varnish, to hear and to see what's actually going on, what, he, what his heart cares about, what, what he is doing, how he is moving, how he is working, uh, to hear pain, to hear uh, where things are wrong, to be able to step up and meet needs, and also to be able to see through and see where God's actually winning in the midst of what looks like great um, destruction. And that's what happens with Jesus here with the woman at the well. Uh, it says that Jesus was leaving uh, where he was in Judea, was attempting to go um, to, <clears throat> to Galilee. Um, and it said that in, in John 4, it says that he had to go through Samaria, which is an odd way to say that, and I didn't have time to go look through it, but the, the, the reality is that he didn't really have to go through uh, Samaria. In fact, the Jews would always go around Samaria. So just a spoiler alert, um, the Jews and the Samaritans were not friends. They did not get along with one another. They did not like each other. There was a ton of animosity. And um, so we were also coming off um, three weeks of speaking, of speaking about gender, gender roles in the church here at Trinity. Uh, so you're not going to get any of that from me this morning. So if you were hoping, none. Um, but there was an issue in the in the early church where um, it was seen as inappropriate for a man. And even still today, I mean, we I have safeguards around my life that I, there's just things I don't do one on one with women. I don't drive in a car one on one with women. I don't meet alone with someone of the opposite sex, like there are barriers and things that I put in place just from uh, a purity and to live above reproach that no one could have a charge. But also there was like this class system where uh, women were not seen as, as great or as equal to men. And here comes Jesus specifically going to Smyrna to meet with this one woman at the well. It wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to go through this place and uh, you guys go get some food and I'll get some water. It was, no, it was an assignment from the Lord. It was an assignment. It was a marching order from his father to go and to meet with this woman. And they sit down and they have a conversation and she has no clue who he is. In fact, Jesus even says, he's like, if you knew who I was and who, who it was who offered or who asked you for a drink, you would, and this is a little bit of, of uh, creative liberty, but like you would beg me for the drink that I have to offer, because it's not just water for now, it's eternal, it's living water that lasts for eternity, that you would never thirst again. And here's this woman, and she still has no clue who he is, and she even goes back and says, well, I know that the Christ is going to come, and Jesus is basically like, I am. <laughs> the Christ, I am he. You are with, that's who you're with. Uh, and let me show you. And read all her mail, like you've been... Uh, she tell, he tells her to go get her husband. She says, I'm not married. And he responds with the things that we know he responds with is, that's correct. You're, you're not, 
you're not married. You've had five, five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. So it's a lady who's been through some stuff. She's been ostracized from society. I don't know about you, but I've always had this picture uh, of wells in old cultures that like they were in the center of town because that's how you see it in Camelot and stuff. <laughs> uh, King Arthur, Knights of the Round Table, like the, the well would be in the middle of the city. Uh, so it says that this well was well outside the city in this town in, Sum- in um, Smyrna, in Samaria, uh, that the well was outside the city. And she had to walk a distance to go and get water in the heat of the day because she was cast off by everybody else. She has been seen as, as less than. Her decisions, and she's made these decisions, but her decisions have disqualified her from the life and love of the community around her. And Jesus said, I want that one. That's who I'm going after. This woman who's been cast off with no hope, she's done more than most people have done and she views herself as less because she's agreed to it. It's not just like that she was cast off and she kept trying to get back in and get back in and, well, I'm worthy, I'm good enough. I just made a couple mistakes. You should let me back in. She had given in to the narrative that you are less than. You need to come to the well at a separate time. And Jesus said, that's the one I'm going after. I'm going to demonstrate how far my grace can reach. I'm going to demonstrate how deep my, reach, how deep my grace can go. And to the point where she leaves her water jug and she sprints back to town and tells everyone about it. And then the town comes out to meet Jesus. And it's like one of the coolest phrases, I think Mike mentioned it a couple weeks ago, one of the coolest phrases comes out of that interaction with the woman at the well. Um, they say, the, the, the people of the town say, hey, at first we believe just because of your testimony, but now we believe because of him. Man, as a Christian, as a Christian, what great hope is that? I love it. So we get to put on, there's a tension I feel all the time with FCA stuff. Uh, so I'm a, I serve in, a, for those of you who don't know what FCA is, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, we're a parachurch ministry. Uh, we exist out of uh, personal support raising. So churches, businesses, folks that support our ministry on a regular basis, on a monthly basis, or they come to dinners. And there's always this pressure to tell the story. And the, the temptation is always to paint FCA or myself or one of our staff or the program or the camp or whatever as the hero of the story. Like, man, this person was jacked up, but then they came to FCA. Which that can be the setting. That can be the environment with which it happened. But if we don't get to Jesus in a hurry, man, there's nothing greater than me. There's nothing, like, no greater joy than me of, of guys that I've invested in that when I ask them to share their testimony, they don't say my name. I'm like, yes, they get it. They get it. It's not about me. It's not about FC. It's about Jesus. And for the fact that these men would would see the grace of God impact this woman so deeply, salvation would come to this village in Samaria even even before Jerusalem, like the epicenter of the Jewish world where you think salvation should start from. Nope, we're going, we're going to Cana. We're going to Samaria. It's crazy to me. I'm going to go, I'm going to go these other places before bringing it to my own people. And it says that they, they asked him to stay, and Jesus stayed two extra days. There's other places, other towns in, in, in Israel where they asked Jesus to stay, and he said his disciples, so not just like random people asked him to stay, his own disciples were like, hey, we should stay here longer. There's more people to be healed. There's more miracles to be done. We can do it. Let's stay. He's like, that's not why I came. There's other towns for me to go to. 
I'm on a mission. You don't see the mission that I'm... But for whatever reason, Jesus, through God's authority, uh, through God's leading, saw Samaria as a place to camp out for a couple days and bring salvation to this town uh, that was hated. So not only a woman who was hated... I mean, you think of it, a, a people that were hated by the Jews and a woman who was hated by those people, to me it almost seems like the story of Gideon a little bit, of like Gideon was of the least, tri- was of the least family, of the least tribe, uh, of the least people in Israel. And when, when God came to find Gideon, Gideon was in a wine press, in the ground, eating his lunch, afraid that some people were going to come punk him for it. And Jesus comes to that, or God comes to him and says, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Arise, mighty warrior. He's like, who? Like, I'm punked up in a hole in the ground eating my lunch, thinking that someone's going to get my lunch money. And you say, mighty warrior. And the same thing with this woman. Uh, and then we see Jesus go uh, right from there. He's going on his way uh, to Galilee again, and he, conf- he comes across this official. And this official comes to him just simply in desperation. And as a parent, I can feel his desperation. He's like, my son is about to die. Will you heal him? come to my house, please, and heal him. And Jesus, and not because of the faith of this person, not because of anything miraculous that this official had done, not because of his power or his prominence, but just out of grace, Jesus says, your son will not die. He's healed. And the official goes away, and his servants meet him. It's miraculous. Your, 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 your child was healed. And he's like, okay, great. When, when was it? Tell me the time. He told him the time. He's like, that's the exact moment that he told me to go away. So Jesus didn't even have to go and touch the boy. He just said from a distance, no, he's fine. It'll be okay. Go home. And then what happens? You see out there that salvation came to this man's household. And then Jesus goes on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops by this pool. Uh, and there's this pool at Bethesda where Jesus is um, going um, on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops by this pool called Bethesda, and there's this lame man who's been lame for 39 years. Uh, he has been on a mat, has been begging, has been wanting uh, physical salvation to happen, been wanting his body to be healed. Look, if I was laying on a mat for 39 years, um, I would be a little indignant as well. I would not be happy. I mean, I think about if you've ever had an injury or a time where you've been laid up, it's, I know that there's folks in this church who are walking through uh, chronic illness, chronic injury, chronic pain. This man is in this condition for 39 years, and Jesus says, says that there's a multitude of people, yet Jesus goes and finds this one guy. There's a, multiple, uh, there's a multitude of people because there's something, I'm not going to get into this because I don't really understand it, but somehow they would say that there would be an angel of the Lord that would come and stir up the water and whoever got into the pool first gets healed. So that's why they're all around this pool. And Jesus comes up to this seemingly random guy and asks him, do you want to be healed? The guy has no clue who Jesus is. He's not seeking him. He's not asking for anything. He doesn't know who he is. And Jesus just asks him, do you want to be healed? And we know that he doesn't know who he is because the man immediately goes, I have no one to take me down to the water. Every time I try to get down there, someone else gets there first and they get healed and I can't. And Jesus doesn't talk to his circumstance in the situation. He doesn't comfort him through it. He doesn't help anything. He just immediately changes the situation. And he says, take up your mat and go. And after 39 years of not being able to move, of not being able to do it, he stands up and he goes. Like, how deep is the grace and how far stretching is the reach of God? He, 
told a kid who's dying you're not going to die from a distance. Your son's not going to die. He's fine. Go home. Salvation comes to that house. He sees this guy on a mat, goes to him and says, take up your mat and be healed. And then seeing the multitude around him, he left. He didn't heal everybody else there. He just gave him a little taste. So quick rabbit trail. That's the age that we live in. We live in this age where the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It has come. It has started. It is unfolding. And Jesus could have healed everybody in there. But he just gave a taste, a glimmer, a sight of what was to come. That in the new heavens and the earth, there will be no pain. There will be no tears. There will be uh, no lameness. There will uh, be no death. There will be no brokenness. There will be uh, no sin that would cause a woman to be married five times and to be living with her boyfriend, that all that stuff would be eradicated. That Jesus speaks that that's how far my grace reaches, that when I come back and I make all things new, this will be normative. You won't need miracles. You won't need these things. Because when I come back, it's like this forever. And Jesus goes and finds this one guy and then leaves before telling him the rest of the story. And the guy picks up his mat and he's walking and uh, away from there and he's in Jerusalem. And guess who finds him? Because it's the Sabbath. The Pharisees find him. And they're like, hey, what are you doing carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath. You can't do that. Like you're breaking the rules. And the guy's like, oh, I don't know. It's like so this guy healed me and just told me to pick up my mat and go home. Like, I don't know, if you got healed, you'd pick up your mat and go too. I've been laying here for 39 years. Guy said, I'm good, I'm good, and I just did what he told me to do. So where does he go? This guy goes to the temple. Man, what an appropriate response. Boom, healed? I'm supposed to go home? Where am I going to go? I'm going to worship God. Like, (laughs) this thing, 39 years of being on this mat, I got healed, I'm going to the temple. Jesus meets him at the temple with the Pharisees. And they start throwing darts at him again. And Jesus went there. He went there to the woman at the well. He went there to the official to heal his son. He went went there for the kid at Bethesda, uh, this, this lame guy by the pool, on purpose. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't circumstance. He was sent by God to those places. So the final point um, that I want to bring it all uh, together, um, Jesus was willing, willingly and joyfully uh, submitted to the Father's will. And we see it in the end. Like we see it ultimately in the cross. I was talking with Mike this morning, and it just has me kind of, has me undone. Um, but, I don't like to put myself in a disadvantage. Like I, I'm an athlete. I like to win. I like to be in winning circumstances. I, I don't like to show weakness. I don't like uh, to show mistakes. I don't like to show all those things. Yet, uh, I don't, also don't like to be inconvenienced. I like my, way, my life to go the way I want my life to go. So when things are uncomfortable, when things are trying, when people are annoying, when my three-year-old wakes up at 5.15 this morning and I was going to sleep till 5.30 and then review my notes and... I get a three-year-old right here saying, I peed the bed. Um, my initial response is like, you're so annoying. And then I'm like, oh, I'm getting ready to go present this sermon. And thankfully, thankfully, I hear Lindsay from the other side say, uh, you want me to take care of it? Yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, anyway. But I don't like to be inconvenienced. I don't like, to, I don't think, like things to not go my way. But thinking of Jesus... 
Jesus took on the ultimate inconvenience. He took on the ultimate um, humbling or submitting of himself. Uh, And and when he describes it, it says uh, that with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So all these things are shadows of, of, of what is to come. That we only get to the new heavens and the new, new earth. We only get to these things that are to come because Jesus stepped in the gap. Salvation only came to these people as partially. Like, salvation came, but then we know that ultimate salvation comes through the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That he saw them in their state and went and to go find them. He sees us in our state, the depth of our sin, every thought that we've ever thought, every unkind word that we've ever had in private or in public, every opinion of other people, every selfishness that we've ever expressed, he sees it and he says, I love you. And he submits to his father by hanging on a tree and saying, they're mine. Not one of them that you've given to me will I let out of my hand. I'll do this for you, Lord. I'll do this for you, Father, because I love you and I submit to you, but I'm also doing it for them so that they can be with us, so that they can enjoy the same life and fellowship that we have together. And we see that uh, coming to a conclusion here, um, coming to a conclusion here. uh, So in John 20, 21 and 22, is that Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And it says that he... um, that he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So this submission of God, we see it in John 5. Jesus says these two things in John 5. In the midst of rebuking the Pharisees, uh, he says these two things. In John 5:19, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And he says in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I see, not my, I see not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look, we all, most of us in here probably know uh, the scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Look, I attest to that. There's probably a, a painting or a mug or uh, a figurine or something that has that. Actually, I know there is a cross figurine with that on it, in my office. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't live that out. Jesus was tethered to the Father in such a way that he said, I can do nothing of my own accord. I can do nothing of my own will. And this is Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, fully God, fully man. He said, I refuse to operate. I refuse to step out of the box of not being in submission to my Father, even if it takes death on a cross. Yet I make all my own decisions. Uh, I fall short. I, I don't submit myself to the Lord. I don't consider him. I don't ask him. That's my challenge to us this morning is that uh, Jesus was on a mission from the Father. That his grace, uh, you want to throw that overview slide up. Uh, his grace is for everyone. So we consider that. When we seek the Father and ask, God, give me eyes to see myself the way that you see me. Maybe that's you think of yourself too lowly, that you're not receiving his grace properly, that you don't understand that he's forgiven you, that he loves you, that he pulls you close, he calls you your child, that he's cleaned you up, that you're no longer uh, the woman at the well. Maybe it's that you think of yourself too highly, that you're one of the Pharisees that is casting judgment and putting everyone in their place. 
um, and operating and, and, and taking, searching the scriptures, yet only using them for your own ends. Fran was talking to me about that this morning. That one of the indictments on the Pharisees was uh, that they were not, and you see it uh, in a lot of the New Testament, like the, the Pharisees were not taking care of God's people. They were doing things selfishly. Maybe that's where we are. And maybe you see these, the, the first two points of, um, the second point of God's grace reaching further. Um, maybe God's calling us, I know God's calling me, God's calling us to get out of our comfort zone, that we live in the midst of a world that is dying. Jesus' mission from the Father was to seek and save the lost. Yet oftentimes I retreat to the comfort of my own home behind my garage door in my neighborhood. It's easier for me to sit in, in a Starbucks and, put my headphones on and not interact with the people around me because I have things to do and I do have things to do so there is <laughs> I need to get my job done but I put up barriers for even the possibility of God speaking to listen the, une- the uneasy feeling I get when I'm, I know I'm going to Costco and I come out of Costco and there's the homeless dude who stands there in the middle all the time and yeah I could throw him some change I could do something but Jesus didn't just care for these three people, didn't just care for their physical need. In fact, you see uh, what he leaves, and we'll close with this, what he leaves um, the lame, the guy that, who was suffering was lame for 39 years, what he leaves him with, after explaining all that he's done for him, he tells him, go and sin no more that something worse may not happen to you. Like, look, the dude's been laid up on a mat for 39 years. There's not much physically worse than that. Because he's not talking about a physically worse thing. He's talking about dying in his sin apart from Christ and being um, tormented and experiencing the wrath of God for eternity. Like, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're dealing with this morning. Is that my, I have family that doesn't know the Lord. Yet I interact with them many times without that on my mind. Just simply trying to get through the family function. I have friends that don't know the Lord. I have neighbors that don't know the Lord. If I cared like Jesus cared about these people, if we cared as a church about the world around us in Smyrna and Dover and Middletown and beyond, and may God change something in us. I'm going to pray, uh, and then Mike is going to come up um, and close us out. But yeah, thank you for thank you for allowing me to be up here this morning and uh, share from God's word. Um, But my hope is that we would not leave here unchanged, that these stories, that example that Jesus lived would, would, um, would turn our hearts to follow him in the way that he led. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I pray for these three things, Lord God. I'm thankful, Lord, that you've created us as dependent, Lord, that we all need your grace. And Lord, I'm also thankful that there's no one uh, beyond your grace from the greatest of sinner to the hardest of heart. Uh, Lord, your grace uh, goes further. Uh, and Lord, I, I, I thank you that you have not, um, you did not give us these things from afar, but you walked them. Uh, and Lord, that you've given us, as you see in John 20, Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit. So that very spirit that was uh, in Christ, that uh, the same ability, the same power uh, that, that you had here on earth, Lord, that you've given us by having your Holy Spirit take up residence. And Father, I, can, I just confess that I use my fallenness and my sinfulness as an excuse and not relying on your Holy Spirit. Father, I just pray uh, that we would live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Lord, that we would trust you with all our hearts, lean not on our own understanding, and all our ways acknowledge you. And Lord, you would make our, our, our path straight. 
And Lord, that you would redeem this community, you would transform this community because your people are here in Jesus' name. Amen.